When God created mankind, He said this part of His creation was very good. He created us for relationship with Him and to fulfill His purpose on earth. God and man walked together, and humanity loved God fully. God's purpose was that His will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. God and humanity working together to advance His kingdom on earth as in heaven from the Eden headquarters. God wanted His Eden to spread to the earth. We get a glimpse of Eden again in the last chapter of Revelation. Before the fall, we find what we call the dominion mandate given to Adam and Eve, namely, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Genesis 1:28. We see it echoed again to Noah in Genesis 9:1. After Jesus' death and resurrection, and his victorious work over Satan and death, Jesus reissues the dominion mandate in even clearer terms. We call it the Great Commission, found in Matthew 28:18 to 20. Jesus fulfills God's will on earth as it is in heaven by reconciling man and God, achieving God's original plan for humanity as outlined before the fall of man. With part one of his new series, The Day of Atonement, here now is Pastor Allen. When I was a little boy, I liked to ask my grandparents about what life was like when they were young, when they were little. My grandfather was born in the late 1800s, and so he would have known a very different world than what we know today. And he,、uh, as somebody born in the late 1800s, loved to talk about the fact that there were、uh, no vehicles around him at that time.、Um, People still walked wherever they went. People still used、uh, oxen or、uh, horses to plow.、Uh, there was no TV, as you as you know. There was very little by way of amusement. Grandpa talked about how in the evening, after a hard day, they'd eat their meal and actually engage in conversation. Now I know conversation is something very strange to most of us. Most of us have forgotten what that is, but it was a time when people would look into each other's eyes and actually discuss things, the happenings of the day.、Uh, there was nobody checking messages or texts while you were talking. People actually engaged and got to know each other. It was a a wonderful time. Grandpa loved to talk about the good old days, which I thought was quite amazing because in my mind. It would seem to me, anyway, that having a vehicle and a television, and and even having a computer, that these would make things make life better. This would make things better. But Grandpa talked about the good old days, but things were simple. When you didn't have to lock your house up at night, you didn't have to worry about people breaking in and stealing anything. And as the years went by, he did eventually get a vehicle. Which he drove, which he drove, which he drove, which he drove, until he was into his uh, uh, early nineties.、Uh, I say drive; I use the word loosely. <laughs> uh, he got from A to A to A to B、uh, in his own way, but he would still talk about those good old days when things were simple, when you knew your neighbor, when you weren't afraid to to engage with the people around you, when you when you. Actually, talked to people, communicated to people, the good old days, a time that is not now. What was it like in the beginning? We're going back now, millennia. 
Imagine a world that has no pollution. Imagine a world where the water is not poisoned. I don't know if anybody has seen what's happened in Flint, Michigan. Children and mothers poisoned is terrible. A world where plastic doesn't litter the ocean, where there's no need for commercials to show you how the plastic bottles you're using could actually circle the planet. They're put end to end. Imagine a world that has a wildlife and a plant life that thrives. A world where there's no need for Sarah McLaughlin to sing, I will remember you. A world where animals are not hurt or tortured. Imagine a world where oceans are alive and teeming with life, where there is no cancer or disease or sickness or flu. Imagine a world where there is no hatred, no murder, no crime. People just don't know what selfishness is. Imagine a world where not even animals attack each other. We begin today a series called The Day of Atonement. We begin a journey that begins at creation and goes to the cross and then eventually goes to the end of time. That's what we'll be talking about from now until Easter, this journey where men are born where men fall, where men are redeemed, where men re-enter Eden. This new series, we're calling it The Day of Atonement. It's a story of how we were once at one with God, how we became enemies of God, and how through Jesus Christ we were reconciled to God or made at one with him again. Now, some of you are sitting here today scratching your head and saying, well, hold on a minute, Pastor. We're talking about Easter. Why, why are we bringing the Day of Atonement in it? Because we've got some sharp people here that know their Jewish theology and their Jewish feasts. And you'll say, you're, you may be saying or thinking this morning, well, hold on a minute. Isn't Easter associated with the Passover feast? The Day of Atonement is Yom Kippur, and that doesn't happen until October. Pastor, aren't you getting it mixed up? Well, you would be right, but I'm right too. And I'll tell you why. Because when you read through the Old Testament, and some of you actually have been reading through the Old Testament, and you've been scratching your head and wondering, what are all these feasts and these celebrations all about? And the, and the wave offering and the sacrifices of the bull and the sheep and, and, uh, and the wheat. And like, what's it all about? And what does it mean? Well, here's what you need to know today. All those things that maybe don't add up or make sense to you as you read through the Old Testament, would you begin to understand that these are shadows of what is to come? It all begins to make sense. Because yes, Jesus Christ is the Passover lamb, but Jesus also fulfills the purpose of the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, is considered the most sacred day of the year for any Jewish person. It's a day of 24 hours of praying 
of fasting, of confession of sins, of repentance, saying, God, I want to get my life right with you. I want to be one with you. This is the day of atonement. And the Jewish person who celebrates goes away from that celebration, most of which is spent in the synagogue. He goes away hoping, hoping that his sins have been forgiven, hoping that God has forgiven and cleansed them for another year. Now, here's what you and I need to understand. Jesus Christ went to the cross once for all. Jesus was a fulfillment of all of these Old Testament festivals, feasts, and sacrifices. In other words, we didn't need anything else or anyone else after Jesus did his work on the cross. That's what we're gonna be talking about from now until Easter. What is the Day of Atonement? What does the atonement stand for? What does it mean? Well, take a look at this definition. Can we look at this definition? The definition of an atonement. It denotes unity or reconciliation, especially between God and man or humanity, God and woman. And it comes simply from combining these three words, or these two words and a suffix, at one meant, to be at one, and meant actually means the action of causing this effect of at one meant. It's through Jesus Christ that we become one with God again. Well, Pastor Alan, you're scratching, you're thinking, were we ever at one with God? Yes, we were. And you're going to see in just a moment. At the creation, when God created you and me, we were at one with him. There was nothing that stood between us and God. We were totally and completely at one. The atonement makes, means making amends for or offering compensation for a wrong or an injury. It's the reconciliation of God and humankind through Jesus Christ. Now, in case any of you has any questions or doubts as to whether or not this is truly what the Christian faith is all about, let me show you, in Jesus' own words, what Christ's purpose and what his mission was when he came to this earth 2,000 years ago. In his own words, just before he went to the cross, just before he was crucified and was nailed to the cross, here's Jesus' words in his, in his own words, his prayer for you and for me. Look what it says here in John 17, 20 to 21. Jesus says, I pray also for those who will believe in me. Now just stop for a moment because when Jesus says, I pray also for those who will believe in me, that includes most of us here today. A lot of people don't understand that. When Jesus prayed this prayer, he was including many of us here today. And hopefully those who have not yet put their faith in Christ, hopefully that you will make that step so that Jesus will have prayed for you as well. And what's the prayer? That all of them may be, that all of them may be 
that all of them may be one. Thank you. That all of them may be one. There's that word again. Atonement, at one-ment. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. There it is again. The oneness of God and Jesus Christ, and Jesus is praying that for his followers, that they would be one. And then watch this. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. So Jesus is praying that the disciples, that that is the followers of Jesus Christ would be one, just as he and the Father are one. And now he's praying that all of us would be one with God. That was Jesus' prayer before he went to the cross, that you and I would be one with God. Now, we just completed a series called Healthy Relationships. And it was very practical, very clear instructions on how you can improve your relationship with your wife or with your husband, how you can improve your relationship with your friends, the people you work with. Very practical advice. But now we come to this message about the Day of Atonement, and it's just some of you are tempted to shut down and shut me out, saying, Pastor Alan, I really don't see how this has anything to do with my day-to-day life. Well, if you're thinking that, then you couldn't be more wrong. Because what I want to share with you today, I'm praying, will be revolutionary for your life. I'm going to tell you right now that if you want to enjoy healthy relationships, you can, you can knock it up a notch or two or more. If you take to heart what I'm going to share with you today, what does it have to do with my day-to-day life? Well, let me, let me help you understand this. Let's go back to our childhood. My childhood, your childhood. We all remember a little bit of our childhood. And if you don't remember it, well, if you've ever, if you've got a baby or if you're a parent, then you kind of understand what a childhood's all about. They're days of innocence. We call them those days of innocence. And it's basically from birth until about, well, about the time that you go to kindergarten. It's, those are your innocent days. You're, uh, you've got no pressure in your life Life is wonderful, and I know what you're thinking. Oh, to be young again. You remember those days. No pressure. All you have to do is eat, drink, sleep, eat, play, eat, drink, play, sleep, sleep. That's about it. And on top of that, to sweeten the deal in those days of innocence, you have been given two servants to wait on you. You could call them slaves if you want, servants. We sometimes refer to them as parents. (laughs) And you, all you have to do, well, you don't even have to ring a bell. All you have to do is go, and they're there. And they start asking you questions. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Do you want to eat? Do you want to play? What do you want? What do you want? Please tell me what you want. Ah! Finally, they pick you up and they, you you know what parents do. They got you all sorted. Look, you don't even have to go to the toilet by yourself. You just sit there and go. (laughs) And your slaves will come and clean up the mess. It's really quite brilliant. 
just give a little, eh. They're there with a bottle, with food, with, with, with grape water, whatever you want, pat you on the back, pick you up, rock you back and forth. You are everybody's favorite. You're the star of the show. Everybody loves you. Grandpa, grandma cannot get enough of you. Here's some toys. Here's some food. Here's some candy, more candy. You're the star of the show. You got no chores? You don't have to clean anything? You have to clean up after yourself? You don't have to make your own food? It's fantastic, really. Oh, to be young again. No demands, no stress, no school, no peer pressure. Oh, to be young again. All you have to do is give a bit of a screech and everybody comes running to your rescue. And then you go to school, kindergarten, grade one. And while you're at school, one of the kids has got an older brother or sister. And the older brother and sister has told your friend a little bit about the birds and the bees. Or can I just call it sex? And your friend, feeling quite proud of himself for knowing these, this carnal knowledge, shares what he or she knows with you, and you are shocked, and you are scandalized, but you're also intrigued. And you want to hear more. And you know you shouldn't hear more because it's naughty, but you want to hear more. And now you're experiencing what we call a little bit of guilt and maybe a little bit of shame. And we look back now and we kind of chuckle at how innocent we were. And we think to ourselves, oh, to be young again. And then puberty happens. God, what were you thinking when you created puberty? And suddenly, you are quite interested in hearing more stories about those things that should be kept private, those things that are sacred, those things that are meant for a husband and a wife. And you find yourself being tempted. And you find yourself sinning. And you find yourself entertaining all manner of sinful thoughts. And evil is not far from you. And neither is guilt and shame. And you felt the shame and you felt the distance from God, the distance from your parents. And if you grew up going to church, maybe you felt a distance from your pastor and your Sunday school teacher and the people you go to church with. And you wonder how on earth that I ever get to this place. And now it's worse because you feel distant from God. You feel maybe a distance from your spouse. Distance, distance from church, from friends. And you're really not at one with anyone anymore. You're not at one with God. You're not at one with your family, your friends. You feel very alone. You feel 
a sense of hopelessness and maybe even despair. And you think to yourself, where is God? And you woefully sigh, oh, to be young again. Let me take you back, way back in time, to the innocency of humanity. When we were young, when we were first born, before anyone knew anything about sin or evil, there was no such thing. Before anyone knew anything about guilt, when mankind were still at one with God. Imagine a world where humans have never sinned and don't know the sensation of guilt or shame or distance from God or distance from people. Because make no mistake about it, when sin enters in, it all falls apart. There's a wedge driven in where sin is allowed to grow. Marriage is split up. Mothers and and fathers are separated from their children and Children are separated from their parents and friends are separated. But imagine a world where they don't know what that even means. Imagine a world where you don't even know what death is. Death has not entered in. Imagine a world where people never get angry at each other and are utterly unselfish. Imagine a world where people love to serve one another, love to serve God, and are completely and utterly generous. Imagine a world where people walk with God. They're in sync with the mind and the purpose and the plans of God. Imagine a world where people are extremely intelligent. They're inventive with perfect memories and perfect recall. I'm not making this up, folks. It's all in the scripture. Imagine a world where humans govern and care for the environment with perfect execution, no litter, not one problem. Imagine a time where God and people and the creation, where God and people and the creation are at one with each other. But innocence was lost. That one meant was lost when Adam and Eve gave in to temptation. That day they decided not to listen to God, but to listen to another voice, which we're going to talk about next week. That day when they decided, I'm not listening to God, I'm not doing what he says, on that day, they were no longer at one with God, They were no longer at one with each other. They were no longer one with the creation. Now this, this is all very depressing in many ways, except to say that there is some good news. We sometimes call it the gospel. There's some good news, and here is the good news. Although we are not at one with God, although we have sinned, although we have fallen away from God, God decided that he loved us too much, too much to let us go. 
And so ever since Adam and Eve fell, God has had a plan in place to bring us back into relationship with him, to make us at one with him again. Look what it says here in Hebrews 2.17. For this reason, Jesus had to, make, uh, had to be made like us, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. There's that word atonement, at one meant. This is why Jesus came to this earth, so that you and I, estranged from God, distant from God, could be brought back to him and be made one with him. And here's what I want every person here this morning to know. Ready for this? There's not one person here today, not one person here today that has sinned so great and fallen so far that God can't rescue you, that God can't bring you back to himself. You say, but Pastor Allen, you really don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've gone through. Pastor Allen, I was, I was so close to God. I had such a strong walk with God. I experienced the Holy Spirit in my life in ways that would just amaze you, Pastor Allen, and now life is disaster. I feel so far from God. For this reason, for this reason, Jesus had to be made like us, fully human in every way, to identify with you and me and the struggles and the temptations and the pain that you and I experience. For this reason, Jesus had to be made like us, fully human in every way, in order that he might become merciful and faithful and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. That's what God did for you and me. You and I cannot make atonement. You and I cannot, you and I can do nothing to make us one with God except put our faith in the one who can make us one with God. You say, Pastor Allen, are you telling me that's all that I need to do to be one with God? Yes, but it's far too simple, but that's it. That's all that God asks of you and me, that we would put our faith in Jesus. The pastor Allen don't have to clean up my act? No, because then that would be your work and not Jesus' work. But Pastor Allen, you don't know what I'm going through. Don't have to quit smoking first or don't have to quit, quit drinking. Don't have to give up pot. Don't have to give up. No. You come in faith to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I want to be one with God again. I can't face this life anymore. And Jesus says, come as you are. Come with your heartache and your pain and your suffering and your sin and your shame and your guilt and your sorrow. Come. Come. 
And as the prodigal son returned to his father, to a father whose arms were wide open, without any judgment or condemnation, no shaking his finger, none of, none of this. What have you done with the wealth that I've given to you? None of that. You grew up better than that. You should know none of that. It's a loving father with arms outstretched saying, come to me, my child, come to me. I'm going to make it better. It's through Jesus Christ. And it was God's idea. It's God's idea. God wants us to return to that place called Eden. It's a paradise where we were at one with him. In 1667, John Milton wrote an epic poem. Some of you know it called Paradise Lost. And in that epic poem, which is really quite long, he describes what you and I lost when we were evicted from Eden. What you and I lost when we lost that at one with God. You and I, whether we realize it or not, have been mesmerized and obsessed with the notion of paradise. Every culture has. For thousands of years, every culture has got their tales, their stories of paradise. Why? Because you and I have been created in the image of God, and you and I are not content or happy or satisfied until our hearts are at one with God's heart. You may not believe this. You may think yourself too clever, too educated to believe this. And I'm going to tell you straight up, at the end of the day, this is a matter of faith. And I will tell you this, although it may not make sense to your natural mind, you take that step of faith and God begins to open your eyes so that you can see things that you never saw before. I'm going to tell you, my friends, these things are not received or understood just by the natural mind. It's understood by the spiritual man. Since the fall, the Chinese have got their Shangri-La. The Greeks, they've got their Elysium. The Romantic artists, they've got their Arcadia. We've got the Vikings Valhalla. Some of you are familiar with that. And many Eastern religions, they've got Nirvana and Goloka. I don't know if I'm saying that right. It's in virtually every, every culture. Every anthropological study reveals a paradise in all of the myths, in all of the stories of every culture. Why is that? Because our hearts long to be at one with God. What does paradise look like? If you came to me and say, Pastor Alan, I want to I go to paradise. I want to be in paradise right now. I don't want to die, but I want to go to paradise. What will I experience when I'm there? Well, I can't tell you everything because obviously I'm not there yet. But I am there. 
I have a taste of paradise right here, right now on this earth. And my friends, that is why I am a follower of Jesus Christ. That is why I have put my faith in Christ. That's why as a child I put my faith in Christ. And it's why I have stuck with Christ throughout my life. Pastor Allen, were you ever tempted not to believe? Were you ever tempted to turn your back on Christ? Yes. Yes. Did you ever wonder if it's all true or if it's myth? Yes, of course. And I want you to know that I've wrestled with it all. And after all these years, I believe stronger and more fully and am more convinced than I've ever been in my life that this place called paradise is true. What's in paradise? What's it like? Freedom is exactly what I was about to say. Thank you. Freedom from addictions. Freedom from pleasing people. There's some people here today, you cannot make a move towards God because you don't want to upset your parents. You don't upset your friends. You don't want to upset your colleagues. What will people say about me? You're free in paradise. No secrets. Someone said you're only as sick as the secrets you keep. Freedom. In this place called paradise, where you and I are at one with God, there's no guilt. You're here today with guilt. God wants you to come to him, be one with him, and be free of it. There's no shame. You've got a clear conscience. You can look at yourself in the morning and not look back with disgust at that person looking at you in the mirror. Paradise is a place where there's peace inside. You're not afraid of death. And what's more, you're not afraid of life. There's a lot of people afraid of death, but there's far more people who are afraid of life. They're afraid of tomorrow. They're afraid of what the future holds. Will I get married? Will I have a wife? Will I have a career? Will I have children? Will I live long? Will I get sick? Will I die too soon? Paradise is a place of happiness where you've got an inner sense of joy and a smile on your face, not because you're pretending, but because you are truly joyful. Paradise is a place where God directs you and leads you, who helps you with all your decisions. Two of our three kids right now are looking to their future. What will their career be? What will they do for a living? Should they go to school? Should they go to university? Should they go to Red River? What should they do? And my answer is simple. Because they put their faith in Christ, they can depend on God to direct them. You don't need to worry about the future. God will show you what to do. And those of us who put our faith in Christ, those of us who are at one with God, we understand that God wants to direct us and lead us day by day. You know, we just completed a series called Healthy Relationships, as I mentioned. And we talked about how to have a strong and healthy marriage and how to have a strong and healthy relationship with our kids and with our workmates and the people that we 
we rub shoulders with. But I'm going to tell you this, my friends, and I'm taking it up many notches. If you want to have a phenomenal marriage, then you need to be married to someone who is also at one with God. Where a husband and wife are both at one with God, it's the greatest marriage on the planet. And I would challenge you to Google that to find out if what I'm saying is true or not. Many studies on the subject. And where a husband and wife are truly at one with God, the statistics for a healthy, phenomenal, great marriage is off the charts. If you want to have great friendships where you feel a real sense of joy and contentment for being together, then you need to be with people who are also at one with God. By the way, that's why we have small groups. It's a place where you meet with others who also want to be at one with God. It's a place where you experience true joy. Folks, that's what it means to be at one with God. That's what it means to live in Eden or paradise. And God wants you to experience that thing right here and right now. And the way that you do that is by putting your faith in Christ. You say, Pastor Allen, I put my faith in Christ many years ago, but I have to tell you, Pastor, all those things on the list that you mentioned, I'm not experiencing that in my life right now. Dare I suggest that what needs to happen is that you need to have a personal revival where you need to turn to God and say, God, I've been trying to live this life on my own. God, I have not been walking at one with you. I'm gonna tell you right now, folks, this is the great struggle of every Christian. To maintain that sense of passion for their relationship with God. Chris, I'm gonna ask you to come to the piano right now. And I'm gonna ask everyone to stand with me, please. Because I believe the Spirit of God is speaking to us. Christianity is not just a great philosophical system. It's not just a great philosophy for life, to make things better. Christianity is all about what you and I were created for. And you and I were created for relationship with God. This morning, if you want a special touch from God, if you're saying, God, I want to be revived, I want to be refreshed. It's been a long time, God, since my heart's been on fire. And maybe things have been going pretty good, but quite frankly, it's not where you want to be. During this season leading up to Easter, I'm going to invite you to come this morning and just stand with me here in the presence of God with my brothers and sisters and say, God, I stand before you and I ask you to forgive me my sin. I ask you, God, to clean the slate. I want a clear conscience, God. I want my peace back. I want my joy back. 
I want to hear your voice day by day leading me in the way I should go. This morning, if that's what you want, why don't you just come find a place here at the altar and I'm going to pray for you. I would suggest, husbands and wives, why don't you come, stand together, hold hands, and just make a commitment together. We're going to stand before God together and we're going to ask God to, to touch us afresh. something very special in your hearts. That God would bring healing and wholeness. You would set your heart on fire. God, thank you this morning for the faith of these people who have stepped forward believing, Lord, that you want to do something special in their hearts. God, you know stress that's represented in these hearts. You know about the, the shame and the, and the guilt. You know about the distance. You know about the personal struggle. They don't need to confess it to me. They're confessing it to you, Father, even now. And so, God, we pray now that you would, by your spirit, do a miracle here in each heart, in each mind. May there be just complete and total surrender to you. We thank you, God. You're still in the business of working supernaturally in our midst. You're still in the business, God, of healing. So we thank you, Jesus. I'm going to ask those of you who are standing here, just lift your hands to the Lord this morning. And anybody out there that wants to do the same, please do so. Lord Jesus, we lift our hands and surrender to you. We thank you, God, that this is a safe place. It's a safe place. We're surrounded by people that love us and care about us and who will pray for us and help us. God, as we lift our hands to you right now, we pray that you would touch us. We, we've, we've, we've come forward to stand here as an act of faith. Now we're lifting our hands as an act of faith and we're saying, God, I'm serious. I need you. I need a touch from you. God, would you do that work right now, right here? And we thank you, Father, that you've heard our prayers. 
We thank you, God, that you're working in each heart here today. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness and your love. And so we pray all these things in the name of our Savior. And everyone said it with me. Amen. I'm going to ask Chris to continue to play. Those of you who have come, if you want to just sit for a moment and maybe pray for a moment, if you'd like me to chat with you, I'd be glad to do that. The rest of you are free to go quietly, please, or you can stay to pray. But take a moment in the presence of God. But I'm going to take a moment to pray with anybody who'd like me.